Welcome to an all-new installment of Super Metal Brothers Podcast, where the juice is always freshly squeezed. I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. And we're here to talk news, reviews, and so much more. But first, Danny, what a week we've had. Yeah, it's probably been uh, one of our highlights of our illustrious career spanning two months. <laughs> I think... What we got to you on Sunday, Matt? Yeah, last Sunday was amazing. We got to participate and host the awesome event called Army Evolution. Now, for people who don't know what Army is, uh, we actually did an interview with the owners. That was Christian and Cronny Broom. Now, they run a rock metal institution where basically anyone who wants to learn gets to go there with some of the best teachers that uh, Australia's got to offer. Yeah, and they just teach anything from, oh, I mean, rock and metal is their point of difference, they'll say, but they teach anything from... Classical, jazz, etc. All styles, all instruments, vocals, singing. They're the same, but they do both. Uh, drums, guitars, bass. And yeah, and today was the, on Sunday was their gala. Yep. All the students and even some of the teachers got up and formed like uh, pretty much cover songs of their favorite bands, their favorite songs. And it's a great day. Yeah, it gets to showcase what the uh, the guys were all about. More importantly, some of the guys coming through the ranks. So, you know, hit them up. You know, if you guys are out there, they want to be in the bands or you know, just aspiring musicians and want to take it a little bit more seriously, then uh, by all means, go check out our interview with Christian and Connie Broom that we've got on our SoundCloud. But we are really here for the news, Danny. Yes, we are for the news. And uh, it's another big week in uh, the old metal scene. Yeah, this was actually a really fun week because there was plenty of things going on. It seems like right now as spring hits, uh, much like the lovebirds are chirping to each other, the bands are talking about like new recordings and that seems like the hottest thing, Danny. Oh, definitely. It's also um, our, I guess, touring season now being it's our summer and it's the America's winter and Europe's, I guess, winter. I'm not too sure. But yeah, I think it's starting to come uh, come up for uh, Adelaide and Australia. Yeah, so we'll, we'll head out straight away, though, for Ramstein first. Now, they've, can you believe this, Danny? It's been seven years since their last record. But for some reason, they're still doing massive, massive shows and selling out arenas and amazing budgets for all their uh, live shows as well. Yeah, I think the problem is that they're wasting and spending all their money on their live shows. They've got no money for producing and making a new album because... Petrol isn't cheap, and doing all those fire and peri- uh, pyrotechnic displays, fire pyrotechnic yeah. displays, they they can't be cheap at the moment. No, I imagine when the recession hits, that they've been uh, you know forecasting like the bad uh, weather uh, reporters they've been doing for the last couple of years. Uh, that could be really bad, and that could bite them in the butt. But um, they are going to be writing a new album. Um, Christian Flake Lorenz has talked about uh, that things are going well in the camp. But um, there are days where they wake up and just want to start everything all over again, much like a failed marriage, but uh, like uh, every marriage, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. This could be like a new competition. Who comes out first, Ramstein or Tool? So maybe you find out which album comes out first. There might be like a little reward there, I guess. I think Tool uh, just got the cornerstone of the pretentious society. So (laughs) they're happy now to never record one and just troll all all, all, all the way down to the shopping market, I reckon. Yeah, when we become so uncool that we become cool again, then we decide (laughs) to release an album because then they'll be cool. That's it. All these hipsters will be like, oh my God, how good is that last Tool album? Like they never wrote one. It's like, no, you just can't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the notes are not playing. Oh my God. But, you know, funny enough, uh, Tin Linman, who's obviously in Ramstein, is actually so busy. He's thinking about doing it again with Pete Tagren from Hypocrisy, right? And you obviously know they did that project together called Linman. Now, uh, Pete Tagren has actually come out and said he wants more further activity and he wants possible tours and another EP release with the lead singer from Ramstein. Danny, that's amazing. You know, that's a lot of work for this guy. Look, a lot of these bands these days, a lot of musicians getting diversified, man. 
improve your income streams you know whatever's working whatever's hot whatever's fresh you know i'm, I'm pretty cool now that's a lingo you just want to go with the flow and hey, maybe enjoy writing for these bands more now we hear the the, the concept or the front saying going every gray cloud has a silver lining so basically every bad thing has a good thing about it but what's the opposite danny i guess every white cloud has a uh, black surrounding or so the opposite that every cloud has a silver lining yeah so i'll probably have to like every i don't know sandstorm has a razor blade in it I guess. <laughs> well this is definitely the razor blade to the story because unfortunately well, something good something bad in it what's something good with something bad in it strawberry mm. no, apples with razor blades yeah, there you go the coffee apple with the razor that's blade. right that's we're gonna we're gonna get supernatural uh going on in this in this house but uh yeah unfortunately for hypocrisy fans pete has acknowledged that yes he is pretty busy and no he hasn't got enough time for hypocrisy so when he has time for it he will do it which puts super metal brother matt in a super sad state danny yeah true but there's other I'm um, half hypocrisy mishmash. She's got that pain album coming out soon, and that's part hypocrisy there. Yeah, look after that on the Super Metal Brothers podcast. Another band that's coming through the writing process, but this one in particular has received critical acclaim. It's not just a buzzword that you just see on Facebook. This is actually legit from Metal Injection. Neo Obscurus, they're actually writing a new album, but Metal Injection went into claim that the previous album, Citadel, may arguably be, and this is one of, this is in their own words, be one of the greatest metal albums of the millennium thus far. I don't think you can put over a band any more strongly than that, Danny. No, that's pretty pretty high praise for like a, I would say a pretty decent magazine, pretty big publisher in the metal community. Yeah, I mean, when they're not doing like really bad social justice columns, <laughs> <laughs> they are putting over Australian metal bands though. So I guess that another great cloud silver lining joke. And I can't believe I'm used to them in the, yeah, in the same podcast. Yeah. To say that over Behemoths of Satanists, which has been like the returning of the Christ, well, Satan, I guess. <laughs> That's right. So it's the, the coming of Satan, I guess, in this sense, because everyone just loved that in the metal community. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So to, to put any Obscurus off on that is like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm shocked for him, but I guess good for him. I guess, Danny. Yeah, it's almost worth the uh, one of the musicians there giving up his uh, hundred fifty thousand dollar a year job and going forward with his uh, music career to so, get yeah to get the praise from uh, you get, you get online magazines. Yeah, if you get hundred fifty thousand dollars every time someone say this, well, he'll be back to square one. It's funny because he even mentioned that that uh, the band said to the fans on their own Facebook page said, "We know what the last album sounded like. It's basically it was a bread maker on vinyl production for this next album as well. The fans are going to get as well as good songs." Yeah, I don't know about this whole vinyl phase at the moment. Look, I haven't really looked into it because I buy the old school vinyls. Are people just like recording new songs and new albums on vinyl, but through digital means? No, they just okay. they were just they were just saying it because the other albums sound like crap. So the bread maker on the vinyl was just the joke about Is that it. But a joke? Yeah, that was right. the joke. See, yeah, you got lost on us. We're not, yeah, we're, we're not the super smart brothers. No, it's not, <laughs> no, not, not this early in the week, man. Um, we'll push forward to our news story. This one actually affects all the Australians here. Uh, Richard Di Natale, you'd know him as a Green Senator. He's actually pushed forth that pill testing at festivals should be the mandatory thing, but removing sniff sniffer dogs as well. And he wants this passed through the Senate, Danny. Now, he's claiming that deaths of six people a day is from overdosing, and that could be preventable with this new idea. I mean, it could be preventable. We don't have six people dying from concert today <laughs> what's, what's he saying uh, all those people die at concerts I don't get it uh, yeah either, either we have concerts every day and six people died or we need yeah. or we need sniffer dogs or wait we need pill testing in houses or yeah, where, where are less these, sniffer dogs where are these concerts and where's our invite <laughs> uh, I'm sorry we, we've MC'd we can show we can MC I don't understand what's happening here. Uh, yeah I guess it was kind of a bad analogy I thought in his head he was saying the right thing and, I do, and we do agree that obviously we want to see sick people safe and we don't want to do the wrong thing and uh, in this way I guess is you know, making sure those people who do, do want to have that kind of fun being looked after 
Yeah, a bit of imagination from our senator, I think. Yeah, um, it's all the rage, or should I say it's all the rave, eh, in Europe. Ah. Uh, bad joke. Yeah, and apparently this is happening in Europe quite often now where they actually do this. They test, you know, you get like, you bring them your drug, it's all unanimous and they do a scraping yeah. and they test what the levels are. For starters, you can be really, you can be pissed off. Like if a guy gives you a drug and there's yeah. like half the active ingredient, man, you, well, you can change dealer. Yeah. It's like, sorry, this thing is a minty. Why, that son of a bitch! <laughs> Again. That's why I haven't got plaque, though. Yeah, that's it. Um, Bill Ward from, uh, slams Ozzy Osbourne, Danny. Now, this is flated and as confusing as I tried to read it a bunch of times, but I guess the cover note, you know, the back bio, often you know, those hard book covers you get those uh, yeah, novels. Like yeah. The blurb basically, blurb. The, the blurb basically says um, Bill Ward, uh, Ozzy said that Bill Ward was going to uh, you know do this thing and promised the fans that he was going to do a show but Bill Ward was like no I never promised that um, Ozzy Osbourne's a liar then Ozzy Osbourne's like I don't know why he's so upset with me all the time basically this is like a two and fourth and it just seems like this will not work out unfortunate for fans who want to see that work out for them for their Birmingham show yeah this seems like a very slow tennis match between these two because yeah. every every month one will return serve and a month later return serve and I guess because of the age it takes him a while to like return the tennis ball <laughs> so I see why it takes him a long time to get around but that, they, ha- they have that therapy like the massage of them like yeah. oh, oh Bill Ward just said something to me nurse yeah. <laughs> It's like rubbing in the oil. Yeah, like rehab like a month to like, re- like get the strength to like um, come back at him. Yeah, maybe that's why um, the infidelity that Ozzy Osbourne's been doing is that's getting through the hard time. He's like, look, I'm going to need at least seven infidelities now, seven ladies <laughs> to help me out through this through this problem I'm having. Yeah, that that Bill Ward boy, and that's at least five ladies. That one. So I need these five women, five sexual addictions. Yeah, that's why I, I'm sure Sharon's like, look, I get the first six, honey, <laughs> but really, <laughs> really, the hairdresser wasn't necessary, and she was a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Testament have actually released a new song called Brotherhood of the Snake. Now, this is one hell of a track. It really goes balls to the wall with Gene Hoagland crushing those blast beats. And our favorite, the Dragon Lord, Eric Peterson's on it, making sure you get those riffs at a mile a minute. Dragon Lord rap album was fantastic. So oh. any, any anytime like he wants to like bring a bit of that in the Testament, it'd be, it'd be great. I know Testament's more like a thrash band, but Still, if they could bring some of that like really cool like death metal stuff, it's yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a little bit of a feeling. Be oh yeah, the black the black metal X sections in especially in that Dragon Lord album are just so epic and amazingly real written. You can just see how this guy is just a talented musician and has so many ways of you know getting that out of his system with those different projects. Unfortunately for us, like with Dragon Lord, he's acknowledged about doing it, but he just hasn't gone through with it. It's just devastating. So that's the other list. We got we got two. We have Dragonlord and we have Ramstein. So whoever comes out of the thing first, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, my money would be on Ramstein, but I would trade in. Uh, I'd sell my organs just to hear a demo track from a latest Dragonlord EP. We'll have to wait for that one, Danny. Yeah, I thought you were going to say those organs for Nevermore. Apparently not. Oh, yeah. Look, another time, man. I've got other things I'm going to sell. Probably loved ones or something. Yeah, true. Oh, <laughs> you don't love me. Hey, Danny. Hey, Matt. Dare. Dare to keep all your dreams alive. Do you know that song from somewhere? Oh, man, yeah, it's like my alarm clock, man. If you are below the age of 40 and w- was living through the 80s, the one thing in your childhood that was more important than food was the Transformers. Yeah, the Transformers. I mean, they, they were just marketed to us kids. You couldn't escape it. They were cars and robots, and they shot missiles. They made, the, they made the toys first because there is no storyline around that that could possibly make them even worse it was the best idea ever constructed oh it's fantastic and what's even better someone has decided to turn that into a real life power metal band as well these guys actually dress up in pretty decent looking like transformer costumes legit 
And they played the pretty much sound, the soundtrack of Transformers. Yeah, so you got a Transformers cover band who are the actual Transformers. You've still got Rodimus Prime, who's yeah. taken like the front and center stage doing all the cool vocals. You've even got a mix mash of the Decepticons and Autobots. You've got Soundway playing the drums. Yeah. And you know those evil things from the movie that were like... Yeah, quintessons. Yeah, because yeah, guilty yeah. or innocent. Innocent. Ah, and then the guy would get Spare killed. Spare your mockery of justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even there, there. Could you imagine how short the movie would have been, Danny, in the 80s if they decided to actually play the band together? Rather than fighting over Cybertron, hey, that they they would combine the metal communities. That was all about. You had like all these guys had different styles of metal they liked. Like now we like the surgical metal, we're all about metal. Just like in a metal community now. And look what happens. They tore each other apart. Yeah, at the end of the day, it would have made for a shorter movie, but one hell of a movie, nevertheless. Yeah, to be fair, though, we've actually found, like, we did, if you heard our uh, podcast about two, three weeks ago, we did a Volbeat album. Like, Repgar is a lead singer for Volbeat. So, right. Transformers starting to, like, find their way through our metal. So, yeah. it should be good times ahead. Finishing off the story, uh, pretty much just to uh, let you know, obviously, you guys know about Guns N' Roses coming to Adelaide. And here's a funny story for you Guns N' Roses' front man, Axel Rose, recalls the moment he asked for Slash's phone number uh, for reunion talks. Now he talked to his manager called Fernando Labus. And uh, yeah, his, the manager was like, are you joking? I'm going to kill you. And that's pretty understandable. These guys had no nice words for each other almost like a year ago, it seemed like. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of I think, bad things written against Slash autobiography as well, from what I understand. So you got like a massive ego like Axel Rose. I just don't know how you could really tour or play with him. In, yeah. Oh, I don't know if you yeah, yeah, from what you read, you got Axel Rose who, like, you know, would rock up late. They would start late. Um, Prima Donna, he would name calling, all that stuff, making roadies. Like, we've covered on in our show, go to other states or countries just to pick up his jacket. You know, yeah. that's what you get. And, like, Slash, I'm guessing, you know, with his drug addictions and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure his demons he's got with him. But there you go. So, you guys get to see the real thing coming up and, yeah. uh, next year, I guess. Yeah, next year. And they actually are coming to Adelaide. Mm. Speaking of that, Danny, that's a great segue. On to our main feature presentation. Now, this one has gotten a lot of a lot of comments on the old Facebook, and what the story is is Meshuggah. Now, this isn't a slant against Meshuggah. Meshuggah are doing a tour across Australia and New Zealand. But, uh, funny enough, again, a band that has overlooked Adelaide in favour for those eastern states. Danny, this isn't a rare occurrence. We've seen big bands before in the past miss Adelaide too. It kind of like went away for a bit. We seem to be getting quite a bit, but now it seems like Rear's ugly head and like hemorrhoids has come back in there and it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, and like hemorrhoids, this one's violent and ass thrushingly bad. We've actually missed, in, I guess, you know, Symphony X have yeah, uh, not come dude. here. We've missed out on Blind Guardian. We've also missed out in the past with Behemoth. They have done one here as well, but they have also overlooked us uh, off the one time. Even Slipknot, though. Devon Townsend, Slipknot. You know, this is a list. Even Lamb of God potentially were going to miss us, but we got quite lucky with that. So our idea, we sent it to our fans on the old Facebook, and we got a couple of them commenting. And Danny, I want to get your opinion first, though. From a scale of what you might think, it might be the fans, it might be the touring labels, it might just be Adelaide as a whole. Why are they missing Adelaide? Oh, that's a fair question, man. I mean, this is this is an old can of worms here. The first one, I think one of our, let's say, fans or uh, respondents on Facebook said it was due to um, poor ticket sales. And I mean, that's always a go-to move, poor ticket sales, because we're not the biggest population. If the bands aren't the biggest band, we just won't tag along. I guess the other issue is, well, Adelaide people, this, they seem to be a bit more followers. So if a mass band comes, they all seem to come down. Just like when Soundwave was at its peak, everybody would go to Soundwave to watch Metallica and stuff play live, but you would never see those people at like local gigs. So it could be, and so there's all like, that's that's pretty much yeah, the whole uh, 
poor ticket sales, I guess. Yeah, and it doesn't just stretch out to music. It stretches out to entertainment as well, especially with the wrestling. Now, it feels like they have come here before. They get a taste for it, and they're just like, well, it's probably not worth coming back. And if Soundwave is any indication of this, they're probably right. I mean, we still have decent-sized venues. Like Nothing's changed too much. I think was it, um, the old HQ is going to be potentially going soon, but it's currently still there. We still have Thebby Theatre, and the government's doing quite a bit lately. We still have the venues, but I guess it's just the foot traffic. And then, maybe to be fair, these guys have done the sums themselves, and even if they have enough ticket sales, financially, they think, well, it's, it's easy for us to uh, fly, skip our leg, go straight to Perth, or just leave and go straight back to wherever it is next. And Yeah, it feels like I'm going to need to play devil's advocate here, but from our experience being to concerts over the last 20 years, we have seen a randomness nature to it, and that's the thing I couldn't say why bands have a great turnout and come sell out Fowlers or sell out Thebby and then why other bands would struggle to go halfway into entertainment or even like at the uh, the Unibar in Adelaide, for example. Now, obviously, for that's a very much a scare for anyone who is a promoter. They want to see Adelaide numbers turning over there. Now, you could say it's the nanny state, like people are just codgers and they like love their blankets. Oh, I love my pillow uh, and they're not going to come out, but... I think what really is more important is that they need to see the money coming in for them to want to take the risk of bringing a band here because it is very expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. I heard another funny thing as well. Like I was talking to a promoter once, and an overseas promoter. He actually thought it was quite amazing that we don't have like after-hours plane flights. Like he wanted to organize a, organizing a session music here in, in Adelaide. I want Jeff Loomis. And then he was um, trying to organize a plane for the flight to Perth the next day or actually after the, the gig at night. So he's talking to people here and they said, nah, we, we don't like fly a passport at like nine or 10. Yeah. He said, what are you talking about? This is like a, this is not a third world country. What's going on here? And like, yeah, so he was pretty stunned. So maybe there's also logistical areas about. So like maybe for us, they don't bring it here because they need to make sure there's certain numbers just so they can afford a hotel room that's close to the city. And we know hotel rooms in the city aren't cheap. So maybe that's another reason. What we need to do is not to encourage more fans to get out there, but to change the airport. So we just got a new airport. What's the big deal? Yeah, I made them brought their plane here. So that's something. So that's what we need to do. Get bands to buy themselves airplanes. Oh, yeah, it's not that hard. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I made them selling their plane. That, that's that's going to be picked up for only cheap. So fans, we've just solved the problem for you. What you need to do is go to every band <laughs> that comes to Adelaide and say, please buy yourself a Concorde. Then that way you can park your plane at the Adelaide airport and just sleep in your plane so you can go back to your next show the next day. So, Anthony, once you own your home, there's like no overheads. You just look at the money rake in. Once you own, buy your plane, it just you pay itself off. It's, it's so really, Meshuggah are incredibly selfish because they haven't bought a plane yet. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, <laughs> bunch of bastards. Jeez, oh, I mean, come on. Even rappers can afford planes, and I'm pretty sure you know. They ain't going to afford a plane these days. I've got a plane. I've got a house. You seen it? Solved. Again, another thing we've solved, you know, thinking outside the box, you know, there's a box and then there's a Super Mario Brothers box. So just put us in there and we'll solve any problem for you, Danny. Yeah, I'm sure us not coming back on the air and making our own podcast, I'm sure that hasn't influenced people not to come. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's, the timing seems to be there, but I'm, I'm going to ignore that fact. And that's surely a coincidence. Surely. But in all honesty, we want to hear something you guys have to say about it. We might actually even... Some of the best answers we'll, we'll showcase on our show as well. We really want to hear back from you. But thanks to Daniel and Anna for their for their comments and especially Zach Hammett as well. And we also had a lovely person from the name of Ben Saunders as well. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for more news and reviews and all that kind of stuff and some more name drops. Yeah, I mean, hopefully LA can get something back on. Like 
talks about the whole download festival, etc. coming up. So hopefully that spurs some excitement and people remember. Hey, actually, LA is a pretty cool place to hang out. Very nice place. Like, yeah. Lovely to come. Sim- simple thing, guys. Just go to your shows. Just keep attending local metal shows and they'll see you. Yeah, talk about local metal shows. This Saturday... Yeah, the new Dead Fest. Well, the new Dead Metal Fest. Yeah, Super Metal Brothers will be there in a B-square. We've made a lot of friends over the last time at Army, and we've got a lot more friends to make. We even mentioned Headboard. We interviewed Headboard last week. And, uh, man, those guys are funny guys. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be good to see. I think they're around the 2 o'clock, 2.15 slot, so we'll, make, we'll be there to see them do their yeah, stuff Yeah, we'll, we'll be there to sign autographs. We've got stickers. So if you want to come and hang out with us and get a sticker, you're like, yeah, I'll sign it. Yes, I, yeah. I haven't got a signature yet, but I'll... I'll make something up. Yeah, I don't really have a pen to bring. So. Or a pen. We're super poor brothers. <laughs> I'll sign it with like, just like sweat. I'll just wipe on my brow. <laughs> super smelly Dan. Stay around this long for something else, haven't you? So what we're going to do is supply you with our CD review for this week. And oh my God, there's left to field and then there's like Greenpeace. This has to be our furthest left we've ever been before in our life, Danny. Yeah, it's... um. Especially because you're left, but if you're if this by left you mean our metal and happily dancey choruses, oh. yeah, then you've pretty much now now on the head here. This is can I can I say what the, the band's called? This is called Sabaton. Yeah, Danny has been waiting a long time to use that joke, and uh, yes, yeah, it's as funny as I remembered it. But what's yeah. more important is that we're reviewing a power metal album, and this is the latest from Sabaton called The Last Stand. I would have never bought this CD in a million years, but after buying it, would I listen to it again? Would you? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> so Sabaton are a power metal band from Finland, Sweden. The, ma- the band's main lyrical themes are based on war and historical bat- battles. Previous albums like Primo Victoria, The Art of War, and this album in particular, Dan, is definitely about historical battles called The Last Stand. Yeah, you can pretty much get the feel of that. But before we get too far into Matt, would you like to explain how we go about reviewing albums? Oh, absolutely, guys. So what we're going to talk to you about is how we review it. We review the riffs of the album. We review the vocal, vocals, the diversity, the groove, and the production. But let's talk about the riffs. Importantly, Danny, this album, like any power metal album, has got plenty of those chugging power metal, power chords, and those harmonies and shredding for days. So uh, how are those riffs for you? Yeah, you don't you don't get a lot of the um, balls to the walls riffs in these so, this album here, but you do get the uplifting like sing along, chant along. Uh, choruses and oh that's vocals nice. danny oh you're teasing it oh yeah no there's plenty of there as well but yeah riffs riffs wise it's, it's just oh they're just just great great energetic uh riffs and they really get you like just into the mood man it's funny you want to get off your car start like charging down the uh, highway with like a, a jousting stick man yeah they do quite an array of different styles of riffs in the power metal you get some of that cool pop metal kind of vibe with some of the songs you know um even with songs like Blood of Bannock, I uh, got those, um, you know, those kind of happier kind of feels to it, you know, with those, uh, just so the Chinese vocals can go over the top of that. A Hill 3234, that classic power metal, you know, just that you've heard it a million times. Then it kind of breaks it up from that and does some of those metal, metal death kind of style, like very popular in Sweden. Like Shiroma, uh, you get those like um, dancey feels, you know, like the infusion of metal and pop comes in together to give you, it, basically these songs will follow you around like your shadow. Yeah, I mean that, that song there, you just can uh, say, obviously, um, it's all about samurais and stuff and they pretty much make it feel like a J-pop like metal song. So it's really clever how they do that, but it's just, oh, it's just so much joy and the way that they're really cool, like how they use their drums and their riffs to actually help build up their choruses and how like really 
influence and put emphasis on all the vocals so they, they're really good with how they do use their riffs just to just to give the great feel to all the songs and really get you like yeah man today's gonna be a sweet ass day man yeah and that's what you get off uh most of the tracks but even then saying that certain songs like rogue's drift are like children of bodom inspired they've got it's probably the heaviest song of the album for sure but it's got all those like hits with the synthesizer and those like chord progressions and that that cool little guitar lead kind of stuff that uh, fans of the heavier Mellow Death uh, would get into. But they've also got quite a lot of that uh, cheese factor that comes with power metal, you know, that make you remember war as being a great thing for the victors at least. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's it is some like songs where they're all about coming together to like win battles, but you, you just want to do like a dosy do with the person next door to you because they're just they're just that like boppy and they're just that like fun. It's like you, you really your riffs aren't really reflecting the severity of what the song's about. It's quite interesting at times. Yeah, we're gonna obviously the the riffs are there for make sure the vocals can come over the top of it really because they're quite nice and simple fun riffs. You know, these riffs are perfect backdrop for the vocals. So I think we should really go straight to the vocals, Danny. Yeah, I think that's the probably selling point of the album and I found it interesting about these vocals that the guy's Swedish yeah he sounds like an old Scottish Highland dude yeah just like speaking over words but yeah it's basically like imagine your favorite hobbit movie and you know that small viking guy i mean like sure he's cute and fuzzy and you want to give him a hug but he can like decapitate you so you know there's that but he's the guy that talks about war with so much fondness he loves the battle but he mm. also loves the battle because he's normally won it yeah, I think that's where you can. He's got that joy. It's kind of like when a battle was finished like a hundred years ago. So everybody's dead. Everybody, no one can really remember it properly. But you just remember that you won. So you just want to sing about, yeah, we won the battle. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. But like, no, nah, really, wars aren't wars aren't that fun, man. From what I've what I've seen, same from Ryan. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the last stand. Is particularly like that that chorus is so chanty. It's kind of like we we went to the village and we raped their women. Yeah. It was amazing. Tra la 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 la. It's great. Let's go. You know. <laughs> Do know like thousands of people died like in incredibly bad times you know it was incredibly brutal but the way they sing war is really like there's a clear villain and there's a clear good guy and obviously when it comes to history history will always say that the good guy writes uh, writes the books yeah true he should be kind, kind of mix so I intend to write they say. Yeah, and these guys really give you an impression. I guess sometimes when the battle kind of music hits, we're like, like uh, the heavier kind of songs, especially my favorite track off the album, The Last Dying Breath. Even that's kind of more of a battle kind of feel, but it's never like how Flesh God Apocalypse would, would do it, where it's more of a, you're in the war and it is very like dark times. You're getting spears thrown at you and they put you in that mood. This is very much like, post or pre like trying to psych you up for it or celebrate patting you on the ass to say job well done yeah pretty much i mean it's it, sometimes they can be overly joyous over the whole like patting the ass because they do like track four which is <laughs> what an ass <laughs> yeah, yeah oh is that a it. finger <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm staying on the other side of the room <laughs> so you grab my ass yeah. so with um track four you got like diary of an unknown soldier and that's that's quite a nice song where it's, it's pretty much i guess readings from that diary of the unknown soldier i guess hence the name and yeah very simple song they just use like i guess the drum beat to make it sound like gunshots etc and they Build it up. Yeah, like a framing device, really. Yeah, so you, you try and be like really poignant, really like profound speech. It really makes you want to feel. But then straight away, when that whole like drum gun beat then goes into track five, which is the, the last battalion. But straight away, they go in that uplifting, cheerful chorus. Like, no, no, what have you done? You yeah. just destroy the whole mood with this uplifting chorus. And then straight away, after that uplifting chorus, back to like a heavy, like um, somber type of feel. I'm like, what? Wait, no, you 
stop it. Well, stick to a scripts, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just having a lot of fun with it. They, I guess they're really inspired by war and by all that, but they do it in such a way where I don't think you could ever feel sad, even at their oh, like yeah. lowest points. You're like still like, yeah, this is going to be in my head for the next three weeks. Yeah, thanks a lot, you know? And love it or hate it for that very reason. I will defend the album, though, that this is a good, well-written album with very good musicians on it. Vocals, drumming, and the guitarist. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things about the vocals, it, sometimes because he has that, such a strong accent when he sings, like it's more, at times it sounds like speaking, like track five again with just the last battalion. That kind of sounds like a spoken word song. So from what I feel, it's like they went to like a pub with this old wise guy in a corner who just tells tales of the olden days. And they went, they went up to him and said, go on. Jorgen, Jorgen, yeah. please, please tell us the, the the story of the last battle again. <laughs> he goes, all right, this, all right. and then what they did, they just like record him, and then then they just put like a backing track to him speaking, and that's, <laughs> and that's how they come the song. It's just it's just him speaking to like a um a melodic tune, and it's and unfortunately, and this is no fault of the album itself, but whenever I listen to this kind of like like Dane was saying, the delivery of the uh, the vocal passages, it reminds me of everything I hate about musicals and everything I hate about movies movies with musicals in them, and in South. Puck made this joke a long time ago, but I'm going to steal it right now because that's what I do. You know how like there's like people are sitting in like a public place, and all of a sudden there's this miraculous choreographed dance number that everyone in the whole thing seems to know in the movie. But surely people are looking out on the side of it who aren't in this and going, how do they know the lyrics to that? Yeah. Like, those guys doing backflips together simultaneously. They had to have practiced that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. And that's what I have a problem with, like, Hobbit and all those kind of... Because when they get into a musical number, I'm like, all right, this is just... It's fourth wall breaking. I'm like, this can't happen. How do they know these things? Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's kind of like they actually um, want you to do that because they have these big choruses and choirs and chants and the songs. That, yeah, you feel like you could just join in like that was happening in a pub and you start like getting dosy doing and yeah. singing and like swinging your beers and underhooking each other, etc. So, yeah, they, they definitely go for that feel with the vocals. They really want you to be part of it. Yeah, that's the guy's style and delivery. And, you know, this is one of the three categories I like to call metal vocals. Okay, so in metal vocals, you've got one of three categories. You've got the voice that everyone's going to love. I'd consider that like Dio or maybe Bjorn from Soilwork. I reckon like these guys, no one's ever gone, oh my God, can this guy shut up when he sings? I've never heard it, you know, yeah, yep. especially in the metal industry. Even oh, even Rob Halford, I would say, you know, even with that power metal, I generally people are like, nah, not for me. Then you've got your maybes, and that would be your like people you need an eclectic ear for it, like Warrell Dane, for example, from Nevermore. You know, it's that kind of like, oh, it's kind of awesome, but it's kind of weird. It's not really what I'm accustomed to. And then you've got vocals that only your mother could love. Um, you know, the shrieking from the black metal or the death metal vocals where it's like the cookie monster who just ate gravel from he found in his bin. You know what I mean? So you have to have a specific specific ear for it. This guy is the second, I reckon, right in the middle. Yeah, I think the interesting thing of this guy, uh, he, as a singer, he's got a nice range, but he's very just basic with his, his um, phrasing and with his oh. ending of notes. He doesn't do anything fancy. He's just pretty much regimental like an army I guess and the other interesting thing is that he actually still has an accent when he sings I, I normally when people sing you don't have an accent like look at even ABBA going to like a pop ever even ABBA they sing you think they're like Anglo or whatever you want to say but when they speak man that's the thickest Scot a Swedish accent you ever hear yeah well by by their logic they were saying how they listen to a lot of western music so they obviously hear a lot of western artists like you know the stuff coming from the states pretty much that would have been one of the big influences but this guy's probably like nah if it's come from overseas 
I don't want to hear it. Far from Scotland. Yeah, he must have spent a Scotland. lot of time his youth in Scotland because he sounds like he's legendary Braveheart. What's really more uh, important, though, is that the uh, lead singer that you're hearing a lot of has actually been there from the beginning, and so is one of the other guys. So you've only got two members from the band, which uh, Joachim Boroden and Park Sundstrom. These guys have been around since the 1999. Everyone else is a new member. Oh, well, that's, that's always nice. I mean, yeah. So we talked, obviously, the vocals and made a lot of ton of jokes to that. Some were some were good, mine were bad. But we're going to talk about diversity of the album now, which is basically like how all these songs got together. And I can really say that this has got a lot of different styles in it, mostly in a specific kind of kettle. But mm. there are a lot of spices that are thrown in there to make it like one hell of a stew. I mean, like you got anything like thrashy songs, yep. which is pretty much track eight, which is Hill 3234, which there's kind of a metallic influence in the middle of that song, but we won't worry about that. And then you got... <laughs> Die, yeah. buy my copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if Lars Ulrich is out this suit so badly, man, yeah. They're not going to go sabotage more. They're going to be, we need a Jobacon. Yeah. <laughs> so we have... <laughs> da, na, 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 na. <laughs> so you have thrash songs. You have, like power, of course, power ballad songs. And you have, like, Scottish Highlander songs. So you yeah, have, even with the bagpipes to go right in front of it to symbolize the Scottish Revolution against those pesty British people. And why oh, would you stand up with all that, you know, pie-eating and... Uh, Bad spelling and stuff like that, I guess. Yeah, knocking their teacups out of their hands. Oh, yeah, it's tea in the Jerk faces. But yeah, you really get a good, um, a good, a good inkling to those, uh, you know, those diversity. With like I was saying, that my favorite track in particular, which is like the last dying breath, belongs straight on an episode of Eurovision. It's just ridiculously catchy, and everything is so memorable with those synthesizers hitting at the same time. Um, last battle again. These songs are just gonna fit right into your favorite UK variety hour. It's very, very much. In fact, every track could almost like be as a commercial success on its own thing. But it's a good gateway for bands getting into, I guess, power metal. Metal, uh, it's maybe. Yeah, it doesn't really have the edge for metal. But yeah. definitely power metal. It's got, um, I mean, it's got a good feel to it, of course. I mean, yeah, the diversity, again, even the songs themselves, they sometimes have a progressive feel where they build up and they break it down into, into verses. Then they have the really cheery choruses. And then they break it up with a nice guitar solo. So they do have a bit of progressive feel to their songs. And I mean, every, yeah. every song, what it strives to do, it does it correctly because they're always going to be memorable. It's never lazy songwriting where it's like a filler track because you'd get a sense of the filler where it's, they're just kind of running through the motions. But I really get the feeling that a lot of effort and time went into each song because I, and I am not a power metal fan. I hear Iron Maiden and I'm like, oh my God, how are these guys popular again? Oh, uh, old chestnut of course, controversial. I know, right? Like, I just keep losing friends you know i make them i buy them gifts and stuff i mention iron maiden and my and my chic like just whatever of them and uh yeah back to uh, lonely nights in front of the, uh, the internet for me i guess yeah i mean i guess one thing they have up their sleeves that because the singer has i guess the same tone same delivery so sing wise it doesn't do much but like, they use the chants and they use the choirs etc to help bring that diversity in to their songs themselves so they can build up choruses like and all they don't they just don't have chorus the, the choir at all in a song and just a guy with the singer has kind of two different ways of singing. He has like his like deep normal Scottish breath, and then like higher Scottish breath. Yeah, yeah he has these two like two registers, kind of like when you play like um, oh, is it Outrun two thousand? We have like low and high. He kind of <laughs> he has that feel about him. It's like uh, low or high. Yeah, if so you got cool. that joke, welcome aboard. You just got a free taco from Danny because that was a very very cool uh, analogy. Sure, I, I can't afford that many tacos. <laughs> as in one. That's all right. I, I, I don't, uh, hopefully, hopefully they uh, they do like it. But if not, we can skip over to the next idea. So yeah, look, this album's incredibly diverse. But does it do anything for you as far as a feeling? The groove factor is obviously how it gets you moving around the place. Is it? Is this going to be an album that does that for you, Danny? Does it put a nail on your face? Does it make you want to hug? What does it you do? What does the album make you? What kind of mood does it put you in? Uh, most most of the times you have to say it was in a joyous mood. Yeah. Because it's just it's just it's just full of it. The, the, the 
major chords, however they want to phrase the songs, how they use the drums and the guitars to build up their like chorus where you just want to sing along and start wanting to like, I don't know, learn how to line dance. Yeah, the funny thing about this album is... Uh, I remember that I guess that the biggest grievance I have with this album isn't the album itself but the front cover it comes with the album is so like brutal and it looks incredibly full of emotion you know, the guys there and are holding these like you know muskets and they look like they're in real real big trouble um, so much like, um, emotions pouring out of the pages almost and uh, when I heard the album I'm like hold on this doesn't look anything like it. it's like getting the flyer for a book with Fabio on the front and realising it's a murder mystery <laughs> okay yeah you know? that's different yeah yeah for me you can say if you want but yeah groove yeah you don't really have like groove let's say like Gojira type of groove this is just more like it has good feeling and puts you in a mood rather than a groove yeah that's what i get it puts you in a great mood um that's why i was saying about the artwork in the front i'm like i thought i was expecting like a brutalness of just brooding painful times and that but i would have thought that the cover for you know magic online would have fit right in the cover of this artwork and uh and saved me the uh the trouble but um never mind you know Again, it's um, this album's happy. End of story. Every track makes you put you in a good place. Yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much way. So it, it is just a it's a joyous album. Yeah, pretty up- uplifting as well. Yeah. Finish it off. Obviously, the production, which is basically all these parts put together, and how does the experience come down to with the mixing and mastering? I'm sure you know, letting it stew in a slow cooker. Does it come out slimy and greasy because you've got to turn it, or does it come out nice and soft and mushy so then your loved ones can love you for it? Uh, if I had to pick those two, I'll go for the soft and mushy version. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Also this... with a bit of syrup on top because it gets a bit sweet afterwards. So. Yeah, not only is this album sweet, this album is sleeker than an Asian and a Mitsubishi Lancer doing drifts in car parks, Danny. Yeah, I think that's the, the number nine track where it's pretty much like a J-pop song. I guess oh. that's where you get influenced. That, that song could be the backing track of those old like overhead playing games like 1942 and stuff. That yeah. comes straight out of that. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, every musician on this is very, very good. They, do, they get to showcase their abilities, albeit briefly in some tracks because generally it's always about the song you know I'm sure the solos the guitar stretches his wings maybe a drummer does something like cool little double kick part and that or the keyboardist even does those cool dual dream theater harmonies with the guitarist but generally it's like nah it's always to make sure that the vocals get over the top and uh, it does that pretty well yeah there's two tropes they've done in this which I really enjoy one is they use the um, cymbal hits on the offbeat I love some bits on offbeat. It just makes it a bit fun. Yeah. And also the classic, they did the uplifting chorus, key change. Oh. We talked about this in Volbeat. It's coming back again. You cannot go wrong with the uplifting chorus into a key change because that that just oh, melts my heart. Yeah, it's a trope that's never going to die and it never will. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years, but it's a simple way and they get that. They know how to write songs, these guys. They've been doing it for a long time and I really get the hint that for me, even though I'm not familiar with any of your work, I reckon this would be right a strong number amongst it, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean... Th- the thing was as well, they kind of over, they used the synth a lot, and they use like these Kaius nice major chords and scouts or whatever. Which some of these songs feel like an eighties nineties montage. Like you yeah. can watch me Rocky Man, like lifting the weights, trying to beat the Russians. It has that feel to it? Yeah, you can do it. You've only got one try to make it happen. And why am I going with this for that? <laughs> it just does. You just yeah. want to pick up like an old like. Um, a lump of timber and just like start carrying up a hill or something. You know? Yeah, it's very much. It, look, honestly, this could be a motivational album you need to get you out of bed and going to the gym at three o'clock in the morning. In any song, you know. Yeah, sure, it's about war, famine, and you know, obviously people dying, but it can also be fun. Yeah, 
And that's probably the only thing I can't get about the production is that the song lyrics and the songs, they literally just don't, they don't match. I mean, like you're getting, a, you're getting songs about a battle, battle and dying. I mean, again, the, the track three, but the Scottish Highlanders song I keep referring to as, that's about like, you know, we need to spill our blood. La, 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 la. Wait, no, you're too happy. Do you understand what you get yourselves into? So the funny thing is, at the start of this, I was saying the question, uh, would I regret my decision buying this album? And funny enough, when I first bought it, I did. But then listening to it, I got a lot of uh, affection for it. Um, I probably won't listen to this album for another 30 years, though. I imagine when I grow up and when I'm sick of those young kids screaming in my ear about their girlfriend troubles, I'd want to listen to something like this where it puts me in a great mood because, you know, life and such. So in saying that, you know, these guys have done very, very well and they deserve the reason why Nuclear Blast has pushed that and push that they have. This thing is advertised everywhere. Are we even bought in JB Hi-Fi, so it shows you how, I guess, big these guys are. That's right. They've they, got quality film clips, so... If I was a record label, I'd be pushing these guys because Power Metal is incredibly accessible. Uh, accessible mm. And uh, anyone who out there who has a nice Earth record, a Iron Maiden record, uh, even even who like people like Malmsteen from the uh, from the mid '90s or you know that power metal, power, yeah. sorry, pop metal stuff. Even like Lord from Australia has the same feel, you know. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, again, I can't uh, say that it's a bad album, even if I don't might not love it, but I would definitely highly recommend it. Yeah, no. Good album, that's enjoyable. So there you go, guys. Um, you know, if you, if that speaks to your interests, go ahead and go out and buy the uh, Sabaton album. But uh, we've got some more plans for the uh, listeners over the next couple of weeks, Sonny. First, we'll be see you all, I guess, at the uh, new Dead Fest on Saturday. But we have a couple of more interviews coming up. So. Yeah, and the one that's being dropped this Saturday for you guys out there who are really interested is Mitch Alexander from Eye of the Enemy. This is no such band. This is one of the best Australian metal bands going around right now. Yeah, Matt rates him, Matt owns a CD, and Matt really loves him. I got the Vengeance Paradox, and I heard it, and I was like, these guys need to be playing with big bands, and big bands that have been playing with. You can hear these guys play with all the, some of the biggest bands that like Fear Factory or I think Children of Bodom, Bellacore, for example. These guys have played with them, and they deserve to. They are at the top of their peak right now. Yeah, so stick around for that on Saturday. Uh, yeah, but I guess that, that's probably us for today, man. Yeah, absolutely, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure being back on here to the show. Um, Danny's shoulders are more sore than usual, unfortunately, but thanks for carrying me through it, Danny. You're welcome, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> Until next week, guys, I'm Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. We've been the Super Metal Brothers. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.